Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 671st episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is engineering a growing community. We're talking with Eric Andrews about Peace Tree Parks and Community. Eric was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. He is the current executive director and co-founder of Peace Tree Parks, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Eric is a Ferris State University alum that majored in mechanical engineering technology. He is currently employed as a senior product engineer at American Axle Manufacturing, and he is a proud member of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. Peace Tree Parks was founded in 2015 with a mission to increase the access that Detroit residents have to fresh organic produce by converting vacant land into community gardens. They reach their community through a residential and community garden program. These programs work together and are designed to reach those in need, regardless of race, age, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. Welcome to the show today, Eric. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, more about the path. So yeah, Eric Andrews, like you said, born and raised in Detroit. Been, a, I guess, a scholar my whole, uh, my whole life and an athlete. So used those skills to make my way to college. Uh, nice. was very, very good in math. So my mom gave me the, the suggestion that maybe I should look into engineering. So right. I, w- I went down that path. I was a student athlete at Ferris on a, uh, academic, an athletic and an academic scholarship. So I had a mm-hmm. full ride there. So I had a lot of time to nice. sharpen up all of my other skills. One of the skills I uh, gained that uh, while there was a uh, proposal writing. Uh, I used to put together large scale events on campus and writing the proposals. I was able to like learn how to like pitch for money and get funding for different initiatives. Pretty much when we came home from school, me and my friends was, Detroit was in a bad, bad space at that time. We were coming out of bankruptcy. I want to say the city didn't have electricity. The street lights were completely, were cut off to save money. Mm-hmm. A lot of vacant land. But we saw pockets where they were developing. And we saw that they had plans for a new arena. We saw that they had different things going on that maybe they projected out for 10 years. So we decided, how do we take part in that? 
the city started, uh, they came up with an idea that they wanted to sell land. And uh, we were one of the first community partners with uh, the city of Detroit to purchase vacant land to convert it for use for uh, the residents. Wow. So you're actually purchasing the land. Yes. Oh, that is one of the key pieces that I coach people in that if you're going to do a community garden and you don't own the land, they can go away overnight. Very fast. Yeah. (laughs) And when we own our land and we've had some troubles with even just acquiring a trash can. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a struggle. And if you don't own it, you have nothing to stand on. Right. So what is Peace Tree Parks? Peace Tree Parks is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that just wants to educate and provide. So first of all, increase awareness. First Mm -hmm. of all, because I was our first mission. Most people in Detroit, we don't have a lot of, we didn't have a lot of grocery stores at the time. Most people did not know where their produce came from. Most people didn't know that you can even grow certain uh, items in your backyard. So Mm. our first mission was to demonstrate this. So at our first community garden, we grew everything. We grew everything from apples to nectarines to peppers to watermelons to pumpkins, celery, everything, just to demonstrate to the local community, like, hey, look, we got this over here for you. You can grow this. Once we did to you know finish the awareness part, we started the education. That's when we started hosting our community events to show people how to do this themselves. Then from that point, we would like try to encourage everyone that came to our volunteer events to join our residential program. And that that's where we actually come to your home, build a garden for you in your backyard. So oh, wow. That's kind of like the completion of our mission. It's everything that's straight, it's, you know, it's uh, rooted in awareness, education, and then ultimately participation with you having your garden yourself and you know, taking the skills that you've learned from us. Got it. So that's why your bio said community to residential. You're actually driving people to the community gardens, getting them interested, and then getting them hooked at home. Yes, correct. Correct. Awesome. Yep. So tell me, there's got to be a great story behind how you dreamed this up and got it started. So it was out of uh, one of those failures we talked about. So we started the organization and uh, we was in the process of trying to get the first two plots of land. And the city was, you know, taking their, their time. But one of the grants we received, we have received uh, maybe like 500 plants from an organization here in Detroit. So we had all of these plants and we'd have nowhere to put them. Mm-hmm. So that kind of birthed our residential garden program. And one of our meetings, we just was like, hey, let's build some gardens for our family members and educate our family members first and see how that works. And then maybe see if we can grow it from there. So we started with maybe seven initial little raised beds, five by five at my mom's, my wife's mom's. One of my partners, his mom, <laughs> my cousin, it, it really started very, very grassroots. And just so happened at that time, my mom had to, she had to have a diet change, a lifestyle and diet change. Uh-huh. So she really, really took to the garden and it really, really became something that changed her life. So that made me a believer. My dad, he had a situation. All of this was happening in 2015, when around uh-huh. when we were starting the organization. Right. But yeah, my, my dad had some health issues and uh, it was something It was a natural tea that we ordered and it pretty much uh, brought them back to life, I would say. So from that, I became a believer. I really, really dug into the education side of it. And that's where it was like, okay, we got to tell people why they should do this, why it's beneficial. Of course you can, yeah, we can just show them that you can grow a pepper, but they don't know why they should grow the pepper at their home. Then they they still won't do it. They'll go to the store. It's a routine that that you can't break and it's convenient. Right. And what I, one of the things I want to know is what drove you, what was the, the thing that happened that drove you to 
doing something like this for your community? Because this is a big, big project you're working on. What pushed that for you? So it was it all, it's all rooted in us coming back to communities that we're from or that have raised us, members of our organization, to make an impact. So Mm -hmm. every site that we own, a community garden, it it means something to our organization or a member of our organization. Our initial site, it's in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. So I'm directly connecting to the people that I grew up in. I went to rec centers with their parents. They know my parents, things like that. And with the site of the greenhouse, it's in the neighborhood of our high school. Me and the co-founder, we went to high school together. And it's, it's literally two blocks from our high school. So that's a near and dear neighborhood to our heart as well. And it's just communities that have impacted us. We try to go back and, and, and do this as well. Right. And it takes a lot. I'm, I've been self-employed for 45 years. And I know the effort that it takes to get something like this started. When you and your friend came together and decided to do this, what was the strategies that you used to get it started, to get it moving? So the strategies were, we both were in fraternities in college. So mm. we, we, we already kind of had uh, leadership skills. We already kind of still had a, had a network of people. And both of us, we went to separate universities, but we were presidents at our respective chapters. So we were used to throwing events and doing community initiatives and doing things like that. So just the overall marketing of it, it kind of came natural. But the strategy behind the company was, okay, we don't have a paid staff. We need to you know, pretty much have volunteers. Mm-hmm. We have all of these plants. We have all of this dirt. How can we get it moved? Let's just maybe have an event. It, it really started like, let's, even, let's invite people out. And from there, the very first event, I want to say we had 40 people come out. And wow. It was like, wow, okay, this can work. And we also got some food sponsorships for the first event. Just based off our knowledge, we reached out to some local restaurants, right. got some smoothie sponsors, some chicken sponsored. And it was like, okay, we can do this. And everybody was asking at the end of the event, when is the next event? So it was like, <laughs> okay, so maybe we can do this more and more and more. So yeah, yeah. as we saw, we, uh, we, we have some like locals, I'm not meaning loyal, like us loyal volunteers that come every single event. But, we, yep. but I would say 80% of the people are new. So they've seen us on social media or they're, mm-hmm. they're just riding by and they're just stopping to see what's going on. Because a lot of times these communities, don't, they don't have events like this just happening on, the, on a residential street where you have 30 cars just randomly parked. So a lot of people want to see what's going on, what's happening over there. And they find right. out that it's something positive. They, they normally take into it and they want to participate as well. And how many lots do you have now? So we've converted a total of 11 lots throughout the city of Detroit. Yes, that's our total. uh, That's our three between our three sites. Wow. Yes. It's been a long, long journey. Yeah. Well, but it's been seven years and you have 11 lots. That's epic. That is truly epic. So if I was going to walk into one of them, what am I seeing? Paint me a mental picture of what it looks like. Oh, okay. So I'll go, I'll start with our original, our home site. That's, uh, that's been having had the most development. We've been growing there the longest, pretty much, I guess when you pull up on 14th street, we're located between 14th, we're on 14th between Selden and Magnolia. That's just mm-hmm. North of Martin Luther King street, less than a half a mile from the little Caesars arena. That's where the Pistons play. Wow. Less than a half a mile from Google and Ford, they just formed a partnership to revamp the Midwest train station, the largest train station in the Midwest that's been abandoned for 50 years. That, that's where they're going to do all their autonomous vehicle driving. That's in our neighborhood as well. When you pull up, you have a lot of things like that that's going on. You can, you can feel the energy. 
We have our sign. We have our temperature gauge, our, our rainwater meter in the front. We have our fruit is grown in the front of the garden so that we, we kind of encourage uh, it's, it's a bus stop. Once you pull up on the land, if you're standing at the bus stop. We want you to see that it's uh, raspberries, blueberries, apple trees and nectarine trees right here in front of you. So maybe you can pick one while you're uh, waiting for the bus. As you proceed to the back of our garden, we have a little, I guess, natural habitat of trees that's been growing there forever. But we have two sides. We have our pepper side, which is on the left side, uh, on the, I would say the left side of our natural habitat. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where we grow everything from bell peppers, jalapenos, banana peppers. And then so literally the- a pepper garden. Yeah. Yep. Literally a pepper garden. We nice. take all, the, all of those peppers and we jar them up and then we pretty much go door to door, leave them on people's porches to say, hey, this is what we pretty much made from the garden this year. Wow. So yep. what you're doing with the food is you're growing it and giving it away. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We go door to door. Nice. Whatever okay. we harvest, we go door to door. We have peppers. We have tomatoes. Would you like some? Get a, get a handful. With, here, here's a bag. Here's a school. Ugh. Daniel Quinn wrote a book called Ishmael. And it's an amazing book for those listeners that haven't read it. Go get it and read it. It changed my life forever. But part of the premise of Daniel's writing was that food used to be free. And then we locked it up. And you're returning back to that. Wow. Food wow. is free. It Well, and when you look at the abundance from your gardens, it's got to be just mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah, because that was one of the problems because, uh, okay, our first strategy was to donate to, you know, local food pantries mm-hmm. and, you know, the homeless shelter because it's a homeless shelter right in the neighborhood that I used to walk by growing up. So I'm, I'm familiar with them. But we, what we came to notice that okay, they couldn't use 20 pounds of cherry tomatoes at one time. Mm-hmm. They couldn't use all of these greens that we just was so happened dump dump on them randomly. So I was like, that's not really efficient. So we pretty much, hey, we need to give this stuff away to the people. Let's let's go door to door. and. Until we get it going, we, you know, we'll, we'll be out here. Flipping brilliant. Thank Good you. for you, man. That's, you know, it's, that's what needs to happen. We need to figure out how to grow so much food that we run out of people to give it to. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? That's right? true. Yeah. <laughs> Completely opposite of what they're, what they're pitching right now with all of the GMO and everything. We have to grow more to feed the growing yeah. population. And it's like, no, we just need to grow a lot more and then give it away. Amen. So part of the reason I want to talk to you today is about a grow dome. A grow dome is a growing greenhouse and you guys have one. Tell me about it. Yes. So what, 2021, we were fortunate enough to receive the grant from Growing Spaces. I'm an avid grant submitter. So I was just up late night, had no (laughs) idea that we would even really win, Uh, Mm -hmm. submitted the application, had an interview with Lim and his wife, and we actually ended up winning. They, they hit, they, they contacted us, said that, hey, we'll ship everything out to you guys. And I was like, okay, I, I, I didn't know how, I knew they said 42 feet. I was, okay, ship it out. It's going to show up in a box. We'll pull the, the tarp <laughs> over. You know, I, I'm, I'm lost at this point. And um, so hold and, on. And when it arrived, it was on a, like a semi with a, <laughs> right? With a crane that had to pull it off, right? Yes. Wow. <laughs> and we had no idea. We're like, oh my God, how are we going to get this thing off? The it just so happened. They was like, make sure you have a forklift. I was like, okay, we'll be able to get a box off. But yeah, the boxes were humongous. They were in my mm-hmm. driveway. And I was like, okay, what did we sign up for? <laughs> 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 but, but even at that point, I didn't get discouraged at all. I knew we had the volunteer base to pretty much execute it. So um, yeah, we pretty much, uh, we, we took those, shipped those boxes down to our site and we began the process of, of, of building it. 
Limp came out the first week, pretty much hosted a week of volunteer days every single mm-hmm. day, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Each day we would have maybe, well, I'd say the first day we had 25 people. And then uh, the remaining of the week, it was during the work week. So maybe we had five to 10 people on, on a daily basis, helping us just do the day-to-day things, putting it together. All in total, to get the greenhouse up, it, including clearing the site that was previously vacant since the 70s, it took about one month. We had to clear probably 20 trees and tree stumps and everything just mm-hmm. to flatten the site, tons of debris and stuff that was just left there for years. Yeah, so it took about, about a month and then we did, uh, Lim came out for a week and then he had to send a team back out for a week and then they, they wrapped everything up. Wow. And it, this is a 42 footer. So this is like a 1400 square foot greenhouse. Yes. What yes. are you doing with it? <laughs> yes, right now. So it, it's, it's still under development. Prior to, uh, I guess, our winter time, I was able to get the fans, the solar exhaust and everything installed. I've been purchasing the wood for the to build the raised beds this weekend. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're planning to have it open by March 1st. To be planting by March 1st, we have our first event at the end of March where uh, we'll where, where have some kids come out and help us plant the first initial seeds to get started this year. Nice. And so that's about two weeks out. We're middle of February right now. Yep. About two weeks out. So tell me what kind of reaction you've gotten from your community about the Grow Dome. Oh, wow. It's been amazing. Literally the whole process, even it started while we were tearing down the trees. People were like riding by, stopping like, hey, what's going on over here? I lived in this community for 30 years. These trees, who's doing this? What's happening? And I was like, hey, you know, I started explaining. And then once we uh, cleared the site, then you would get a different response like, hey, you about to build a house? What's happening? It's like, no, we're building a greenhouse. But then once people saw the structure, no one, no one had any idea that this was was the site, that this was the structure, this was how it would look. Mm-hmm. And every single day, if, they, if I'm out there, people beeping the horn. Uh, when Lim was here, he can probably say every day he had five, six people stopping, beeping horns, getting out the cars. What's going on? What's happening in the community? And that that was very reassuring for me to show that okay, there's some energy surrounded around this. There's some excitement about what we're doing. The people are willing to accept what we're doing. And yeah, yeah. that that gave me the motivation to be like, okay, let's go ahead and finish this. So the next time they come by, they see like, oh, it's complete. And then maybe the next time it's like, oh, I can have a tour. Let me go inside this place that I rode by every day and seen getting built. And right. uh, yeah, it's been from the, pretty much from the ground up community members, the people that live directly behind the dome, they pretty much was just sit out in their, in their yard and watch us build it every day. Oh, uh, and surprising story. The guy, the guy that lives directly behind our dome, his name mm-hmm. is Ken. And uh, I met him throughout this process of acquiring the land and building stuff. He's a fellow engineer as well. And he was like, he mentioned something like, hey, you know, I built one of these domes back in the 80s. Really? <laughs> what? Like, what? And it's like, okay, really? Yeah, you, yeah, you built one. I don't know how it was because he said he was he built his own airplane back in the 80s. So he needed somewhere to put the parts. And he built a grow dome to, to put the parts in. And Lo and behold, two weeks later, he came back out to the site when we was out there with pictures. And it was so crazy to see life come wow. full circle that he's, he, he has the knowledge of a grow dome right behind the site that we just put Detroit's first and Michigan's largest grow dome. Like it's, yeah, it, it was, it was very How uh, cool. Is that amazing? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. And so the community loves it. You're going to start, get started growing food here in the next few months and all the more food to hand out to the neighbors. 
Yep. Well, exactly. Well, our, actually, our plan with the dome is actually to develop a product for the organization, something that we could um, put into stores. So oh, good. Our, our, our two community uh, garden locations, we encourage people to come grocery shop for free. But from this site, we will encourage people to go grocery shop for, for our product in the, one of the local stores. Good. But um, yeah, because this, this is the first time we'll be able to grow a product year round. We'll have mm-hmm. the capacity to, it's 1,400 square feet. We have a partnership with local universities to host college students that, for internships and summer jobs. Uh, we, have, we have a partnership with D- Detroit Public Schools to host high school students for summer jobs. So, wow. okay, what can their job be? Their, their job can actually be this, this vegetable processing facility that we're, that's mm-hmm. the second part to our dome. The dome was just actually just the, the first half of our project. We were awarded a grant from the state of Michigan Department of Rural Agricultural and Development. Uh, they awarded us $100,000 uh, for this project. And the whole wow. basis, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, last year was a, a true <laughs> blessing. <laughs> it was a true blessing. Nice. But the whole goal, the whole basis of it is that we'll have year-round capacity growing in this dome now. Now we finally yes. need somewhere to process it. So we're going to convert some shipping containers and uh, add some electricity to them with some kitchen equipment. And we'll be teaching the high school students and the college students how to process whatever vegetables, you know, whatever the, the product is at that time. Whether yeah. it's, a, if it's a seasoning, if it's the jalapenos, or if it's a salad little dish that we're working on as well. Wow. Well, congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank so you. It's been tough. This that you're doing is, it's quite epic. Yes. My question for you is, do you get how unusual this kind of a project is? And the big difference that it makes. Oh my God! Almost every day, and and I guess it's uh, it's when I'm speaking about the project, trying to get things done, and people just can't understand what's going on. They don't mm-hmm. know what's what are you doing? It's a greenhouse. It doesn't look like a greenhouse. What what is this? All that is technology, and you know we get a little resistance there, even from when we were going through the building permit process with the city, mm-hmm. uh, just trying to show them like, hey, this is it's a greenhouse, but they never seen a greenhouse like this before. So right. It's like, that's not a greenhouse. That's something else. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. They was like, I think it's 42 feet tall. I was like, no, it's 42 feet in diameter. diameter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just the education part of it, I would say, just letting people know that, hey, what we're doing is actually for you. It's for the benefit of you. It's for the benefit of the community. It's, it's not for, we're, we're not a, a LLC that's looking to capitalize on anything. It's literally education, awareness, and, and providing. And grow food in the community. Exactly. So. I'd love to ask this next question, and that is something along the way in the past six or seven years happened with somebody that when it happened for you, it was like a light bulb moment. It's like, oh my gosh, this is the reason I do what I do. Can you tell me that? Okay. So like we we host our community events. Uh, We have our volunteer days every once a month throughout the season, throughout our various sites. And every year we host our annual harvest fest. Mm-hmm. And I would say maybe our first year we grew watermelons and cantaloupes. We we didn't have the privilege to, I guess, enjoy them because I guess the black squirrels pretty much feasted on them the night before we harvest. So we didn't get oh, to harvest man. them. But the, the next year we had watermelons and pumpkins and we invited all the kids out in the neighborhood and everything. We were giving out all of the free pumpkins. But one of the kids mistakenly dropped his watermelon and we had no plans of busting open the watermelons or anything. We just wanted to hand them out. He busted, he dropped his watermelon, he cracked, and he began eating it. And he just went crazy saying, oh, my God, how good it is. This is the best watermelon I've ever had. So at that moment, everybody cracked open their watermelon, and, and it became just a feast. And 
the people that was on site, no one could believe that this watermelon literally just came right off the ground. You chopped it right off the vine and it was the, the sweetest, juiciest watermelon you have ever had in your life. And it was almost like, that, you know, that reassured everything to say, we have to do this. We have to grow more. The watermelon has seeds still. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I went to the store and saw seedless watermelons. I was like, yes, the engineer and me, we, we have to do this because they're removing the science out of food. They're removing mm-hmm. the nature out of, out of life, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. And oh, one, one, of, one of the things that I noticed over, I've been growing food for a really long time, is that when somebody grows something, when they're able to make that connection from the plant to the fruit, pull the fruit and eat it, it's that much more special. They're going to eat it. Kids will try things. Have you seen this? Kids will try things that they grew that you could never get them to eat. Never. It's some stuff that my son, <laughs> I, I just, I had some fried okra two nights ago. He uh-huh. hated it. Wouldn't touch it. I grew okra in my backyard. And one of the times he was curious, he grabbed it off the plant and bit it. But he, you know, of course he was like, uh, I don't know what that. I'm like, we got to cook it, Mikey. He just, you know, but he just bit it. The curiosity of it just saying, oh, this is grown in my backyard. I know what, I kind of know what this is. Let me try yeah. it. Versus yeah. what is that random vegetable on my plate my mom put? I'm not eating that. Right. Wow. Epic, man. You are doing incredible work. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for especially, inviting me, man. Especially, especially the community to plate peace, getting people inspired to grow their own food that is planting seeds both literally and metaphorically for decades to come that is so true and you want to know what i what i always hear when i talk to people about growing in their backyard especially like the elders the elders always say that they used to do this when they were little or their parents used to do this when i was little and my parents didn't grow any vegetables so somewhere along the line like you said we we missed something we forgot about it we started charging for food or something happened to where people just stopped growing their own food but historically as humans we've always been able to eat off the land and it's always been free just right the only thing it charges is your energy yep yeah wow well thank you for that I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. We had a lot of hurdles when we were starting the organization. One of the first hurdles uh, I spoke about when we got a bunch of plants for no reason out of nowhere and we didn't have the land. But the first hurdle that we had to overcome is the funding. We, we pretty much had, we thought we had a lot of funding in the bag, applied for the grant. We had some contacts. We were made a bunch of, bunch of plants through a bunch of activities and did not get the funding that we that we thought we were going to get. And, you know, that discouraged some people in the organization, discouraged me for a while as well. But what I learned about, what I learned during that meantime is that I learned about, I pretty much took everything into my own hands. So everything from weeding on the day-to-day, everything from anything that I could do, I did. So that allowed me to educate all the volunteers because even myself, we started this organization, but I was still new to gardening. So that year without funding pretty much became my training. At the time I was reading a book that very, that really, really valued mentorship and training. So I, I just bought, bought into it. it was like, this is my little apprenticeship or whatever. And I, I needed to build the foundation to go forward. But I would say that was one of our biggest fears that we really was kicking ourselves on. I guess organizational wise, we haven't had too many, too many failures. We've just been a lot of uh, 
Well, that's we've good. Gradually making steps and having small wins. Personally, yeah, I've been humble personally plenty of times, as I'm sure right. we all have. And yeah. I, I use those examples as a, you know, motivation to move forward and but also be aware to change my approach. So within uh, the, the growth of the organization, I've had to change my approach plenty of times. That's a note on the book that I'll mention. But I've had to change my leadership approach plenty of times. I've had to interact with more and more people from wide ranges of backgrounds because initially this started as a Detroit thing and it's in Detroit, but Detroit is also transitioning right now where Detroit is becoming more diverse. So, you know, we're, in, we're interacting with a lot, a lot more people than we initially started out interacting with. So the volunteer base has changed. The supporters have changed. The revenue the organization has received has changed. So that also means that Eric himself he has to change and he has to grow as well. So I try to use that and be aware and just continue to grow, grow myself yeah. as much as possible. Excellent. And what do you consider your biggest success? Our biggest success to date would be this greenhouse project coupled with the, the grant we received from the state of Michigan. Yeah, we have been applying for that grant, that grant for four years, four or five years every year, never, <laughs> never got it. And just so happened this year, we wrote in the greenhouse and everything, and we were blessed with this, with this funding to change, pretty much change the future of our organization. Wow. And, and if I remember correctly, this was a rural state organization. It was for rural farms, and you're in urban, right? Exactly. So that that's why it's so special. And um, I've had you know a lot of discussions with the grant coordinator at the state, explaining of why this project is so 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 special and why it's so critical that we actually complete it, because the majority of companies that they've supported in the past have been large scale rural farms, or like a a large producer of pickles or a large producer of chocolate, but those are factories. We know we're no factory. We have no employees. We offer no insurance. We're strictly for the community. What comes in goes out. So it was a kind of tough explaining that to the state of Michigan, but also they understood, they bought into it. And uh, yeah, we've, we've been going for one year now. We got one more year left on the, on the project. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a blessing, but I've been learning tons of stuff along the way because <laughs> This is our this is the largest amount of funding that we've received to date. So with wow. that also comes new new adventures and new hurdles. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And what drives you? The engineering me. The just the knack to solve problems. It's that um third grader with the math problem in front of him trying to make sure he gets it right. That kind of drives me just to make sure the overall optimization, that everything can continually get better regardless of what it is today. That That's just the overall positive outlook on life. Yes, I like to speak a lot of things into existence. So I like to kind of picture what I would like things to be and what I would like to be and speaking into existence. And then that allows me to work to actually achieve it. Right. Wow. And if you could recommend one book for our listener, what would it be and why? Yes. Okay. I have I have two books. Good, go um, for it. The first book is The Secret by uh, by Rhonda Byrne. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite books. My mom she had the documentary when I was little, and uh, yep. when I got to college, I'm like, oh, the book is out. Let me get the book. So I, I I bought me and my mom the book, and just that mindset it changed everything for me in college. Changed my whole approach. I was having some hard times, some hard classes in college, and that, just making sure I can always fall back on that thought process in that book changed a lot for me. And so then you said, hold on, before we go past that, you said something a little while ago that kind of clicked in for me that maybe you were thinking this way, because the secret talks about speaking things into existence, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. And That's key. 
we have to remember, and I'll ask you to say something about this. We have to remember that our words have power. They have power to change the world and to create things. What have you seen in that arena? Oh my God, that is so true. <laughs> I guess I would say, I would say we can maybe say, uh, okay, our words have power. And then we go back to something like Martin Luther King and I have a dream speech. Oh and my God, yes. At that time, of course, I'm sure some people were like, oh, that's just, he's just talking. But at the same time, when you look at generations down the road, when you when you hear those words and you think about the power that they have and the the influence and effect that they've had, you can understand the magnitude of what you say can actually lead to something. Yeah. And, you know, in my own life, I have uh, different mentors and different role models that I admire throughout life. And yeah, they, they always lean on the things you say, the things you say, you have to speak it all into existence. I pay attention to a lot of success stories. So let's think about uh, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, all of these people, they started in their garage, but they spoke this into an existence. They said, yo, yeah, I remember when Amazon was just selling books, but what do I they do sell too. now? Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What don't so, they sell? Exactly. But you also, in order to get there, you have to have an open mind. You mm -hmm. have to be flexible. You have to be fluid. And I, I, pri I really pride myself on being fluid. So I be being able to shift, being able to, uh, okay, we can't go that route. Uh, maybe we can go around the hurdle. Maybe we can jump the hurdle. Maybe we might have to run through the hurdle. But it's 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 that fluidity that kind of allows me to move and continue to accept the small wins, understand the glass is always half full, regardless of where we at at that time, and keep going. Awesome. Awesome. And book number two. Book number two. You got you to forgive me. I just got this book as a gift. I don't know the author or the I'm author sorry. of the book, but the name of the book is What Got You Here won't get you there. Mm. Oh man. I've, I've heard of this book. Tell me a little about it. So I, I've just, I've just started reading a book pretty much. I'm, I'm in the first chapter and well, this is when I was in the first chapter, but I'm reading it and it's telling me all about myself. It's telling you, right. I've, I've prided myself on things that have worked for me in the past. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. As you reach new levels, you can't, mm -hmm. those things won't work anymore. You have to develop a whole new skill, a whole new mindset, a whole new approach. And that's literally where I'm at right now for this. Cause I, I feel like I need a whole different mindset to tackle this growth of the organization in the future. Yeah. That's uh, Marshall Goldsmith. Marshall Goldsmith. Yes. What got you here won't get you there. How successful people become even more successful. That is correct. Awesome. One of my, one of my favorites right now. Perfect. And one final piece of advice for our listeners. My favorite piece of advice for everyone in life is just don't quit. Mm. Nike like to say, just do it. But you, if you don't know what to do, you can't do it. Just don't quit what you're doing. Uh, consistency will always pay off. There's always hurdles. There's always ups and downs in life. The engineering, me, uh, the sine wave is up and down. Everything right? is up and down, peaks and valleys. But at the end of the day, you'll always get the result that you want if you just say stay persistent. That's what I've learned throughout this uh, peace tree journey. Of course, sometimes you know it was difficult to own the land, or we face foreclosure on our land sometimes, even though we're tax exempt for whatever reason. For what, those are hurdles that we just got to get through, and we've been able to get through them. We've been able to talk to the right people, build the right relationships to make sure we don't have the same issues again. But yeah, it's it's always a hurdle. It's just always about your approach to it. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Well, congratulations on amazing work. And thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Eric. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, man. This was a great conversation. Oh, you bet. And how can our listeners find you? 
Okay, we have a website. Our website is www.peacetreeparks.org. That's P-E-A-C-E-T-R-E-E-P-A-R-K-S.org. And we have Instagram and Facebook. It's the same thing. It's at Peace Tree Parks, all one word. You can find us there. Visit our website to sign up for a residential garden if you're in local to Metro Detroit or uh, subscribe to our monthly newsletter just to stay up to date about what we're doing and, and what's happening with Peace Tree Parks in the community. Excellent. 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 Thank you so much. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Peace Tree Parks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.